Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to 25 years presents V5 Hunter the Reckoning. That's right. This long awaited book has been, I say long awaited because I, I found it also kind of funny. I was told that this is actually the Inquisition's player's guide. And I was like, that's not what the title say. Wait, hold up. Pick me. Okay, okay, pick you. Hang on, okay. hang on. Who this is, who said pick me, some of you may be tuning in for the first time. I'm accompanied here by Mike. Hey, hey, uh, I'm I'm here. <laughs> also known as pick me. And of course, DJ. How you doing, DJ? Hey, everyone. They're good. good. Thank you. I'm good. Mike, you had your hand up. You're telling me, wait, I'm waiting. Floor is yours, sir. I thought we just had a second Inquisition book. We We certainly did. Um, for those of you who don't know, there was a hunter. Come on. Come on. Second Inquisition uh-huh. book. Hunter Inquisition, but there was another hunter book. We know about the hunters. Hunter hunters, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was that was Project Twilight. That was all them and different sad organization, all that, all kind of pitter patter throughout. Uh-huh. Right. And then they basically Second Inquisition. Right, they, they streamlined it, brought it together in one book to be the antagonist book for Hunters. They said they were going to do it, and they did it. I never heard we're making a Hunter Player's Guide for that book. I had never heard that, company-wise, and I, nor did I expect it. Because to me, why do you need to make a Player's Guide for a book you just released that already has the info in it? Make your own damn homebrew. Make your own Hunters. You, you already got them. Go do it. You got stats for how to make a mortal? Slap some equipment in her hand. They're Hunters. Shut up. Move on. Right? That was me. Fix your own game. Do a little work, man. Come on. But what about what about these hunters is different, DJ? Why the title switch, man? Like that's that's the one thing people are going to want to know above anything else, right? It's called what again? They're not just hunters. They're hunters. Hunt- the the reckoning. Weird, right? It is. And they kept it hunter the it- reckoning. But what was it about hunter the reckoning in the old world of darkness? Hunter the Reckoning in the Old World of Darkness was were your individuals who did take it to the man. And, but the only problem about taking it to the man, or in this case, your supernaturals, would be that they were spoken to. Um, we wouldn't even want to say it's divine guidance, but they were spoken to by other beings who were known as the messengers, more commonly known as the messengers. And the way they communicated with each other for the most part was using Hunter.net, right? Much like Shreknet, but Mm -hmm. less vampires. But the point about it was that everyone had a reason why they were imbued, which they were also called the imbued back in the day, right? Um, With powers that made them more than human, that gave them the ability to stand up against these monsters. Okay. Now, if I I may, Mike, I'm going to kind of put you where I'm at, because misery loves company. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm very happy about this point because I feel, and I'm, I'm very excited, that maybe we got into the right spot finally. I feel it was very bold to have the Hunter the Reckoning because you already had a, the Frog Brothers, right? That was your classic hunters that they talked about. People who were victimized by, by supernals, mainly vampires is what the focus was. And then you might get payback to those sloppy neophyte vampires that were 
didn't care about the masquerade. The bad guys. There was a legit bad guy you could hunt as mortals. And you were hunters, right? The dad who you killed my little girl, now I'll get at you with my best friends. And they're half-assed paying attention to this guy's weird-ass vengeance kick. But it turns out, holy shit, that that hot guy at the end of the block is a vampire. And we saw it for real, but we couldn't kill him at night. And we saw that he crawled in his house during the day. How do we describe this to the police? That was your standard run-of-the-mill frog brother hunters. I love those guys. That's great. But then Project Twilight came out. And this was, yeah, we studied that. And there are many other cases. And many other supernatural creatures. It's not just vampires. Pup Pid. Something that calls itself a lycanthrop. Others may call it werewolf. Where a silver bullet might be the way to kill it. But we've noticed they're not only out during full moons. There are demons. There are witches. There's everything under the sun. And apparently the FBI all over it with the Special Affairs Division. They get their own Project Twilight book. That happened. We got that. But then Project Twilight book hinted at the Arcanum. So on and so forth. And there's all these supplement books that had various hunters. But they did something very weird with Hunter um, before, right? Not not just a standard Hunter. Why do I keep the name keeps slipping me? Like, I don't want to call it Hunter the Recognition because I keep joking about it. It's Hunter the Reckoning. I say that because I said... Apparently, somebody wanted to get their special idea recognized. So to me, it's Hunter the Recognition. <laughs> and uh, that's what it was. And uh, that, that's how it went. Like, I have a better Hunter idea. Now, here's the thing that annoyed me about it. Hunter the Reckoning before needed these imbued to say, God led me to kill these things. And I said, they already have that. There's like all sorts of merits in true faith and Numina that can mimic mm-hmm. exactly what they're talking about. So they souped it up and trying to trick us and said, now it's in a neat book for you to play these super powered mortals who are really hunters to go hunt down all supernaturals guided by God. And I said to myself, that's not a hunter game. That's not a hunter. They're supernatural themselves. So this is not the mortal hunter you're looking for. It ruins the dichotomy of hunters, humans hunting down vampires. Do you disagree, guys? Mm -hmm. No, not at all. I think that's exactly the reason why. And interestingly enough, I know that Hunter in the back of the day was was pretty popular in its own right. But for me, I never, I never thought of it that way. Right? Whenever the opportunity came to play Hunter the Reckoning, there was already Hunters Hunted. Why would I want to play? Where's the joy in playing someone already super powered who's able to go toe to toe with your enemy? But then you're not a hunter anymore. So why would you use that nomenclature when you're? I don't know. I just got caught off guard. Um, by how it was presented the first time around. It hits you some type of way, is what it does. But then we saw this second Inquisition Mm -hmm. come out, Lion Tita and all that, and a different idea. And basically what they said was, there's high political agendas global-wide about how they're affected by the Supernal, specifically vampires, who basically got caught with their ass hanging out in terms of, we exist. And so, while vampires are scrambling with the whole idea of the second Inquisition, strike chantries and all that mess, we have these government agencies trying to take advantage and we thought that was it. But it turns out, they didn't leave out mortals. And this time around, oh. they have a different way of talking about Hunter the Reckoning. And I and I rather enjoy it. But DJ, where would you like to start, man? I told you, I'm going to share the limelight a bit here. Um, of course. I got your questions. Tell us about this new Hunter the Reckoning, the feel. So, this new Hunter the Reckoning, the feel is, first off, let's get rid of the imbued. Uh, the reason why is because we're actually talking about hunters. And for those of you who are thinking before, what's the difference between a person who's, you know, involved with the Second Inquisition or is a member of, you know, a task force versus an individual? An individual in this game is defined by their drive. 
right? In, in the previous game, we used to have creeds, and they used to break it down. Like, okay, here are your mercy creeds, here are your zeal creeds, and there was a sub-faction of each one of them, kind of, sort of, and they kind of gave you an idea of where your powers came from. Scrap all that. Instead, they made it easier for you to understand what drives a person. Because it's not... They call... Interestingly enough, I like how they described the difference between someone who's in part of an organization versus, you know, a hunter-hunter. Okay. A bona fide hunter is a person who has a drive behind them. It's the sole reason why they exist to continue after something, and they take it personal. It's their opinion on something. What they call members of any type of organization, such as the Second Inquisition, someone on task force, they call them jobbers. Why are they jobbers? It's like, oh, how'd it go today? I don't know. You know, the wife's giving me shit all over again. Yeah, that guy's head popped. Yeah, I don't know. He just got back up. We just had to shoot. Listen, just put him in a body bag. The guys in med are going to go ahead and take care of it. R&D is going to figure out the rest of it. Hey, we're going to go drinking tonight? Yeah. That is a jobber. And believe it or not, as silly as it sounds, we've seen this before, even in ourselves when we go to work. Sometimes our minds, our bodies are just physically going through the motions of doing things. And it might just come with, you know, getting desensitized to what the situation is. They're hardened vets that are out in the field and they're in, they're out, they do whatever. But what if you're that person standing next to them, listening to that conversation, they're like, but they killed my sister. Or I've seen this before. And then you take it that much more personal. This is your personal agenda to be able to do so. And much in the same way that you would kind of equate a mother's strength when her children are in danger or when their their children, uh, you know, like the young ones are there. Mm-hmm. That same strength and drive is what causes a hunter to go outside of the realm of normal, normal conventional means to pursue the hunt. It's like, yeah, but we got to go now. No, no, no. It's, it's 5 p.m. We're off the clock right now. The mission's already done. When we get next order, we'll do something. That is the difference right now between what a hunter is versus another person who's in the second position. So or a member of a task force. So just to make sure I'm doing homework here for everybody listening, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong and off on this. You got insights too, I'd know it. Um, so what you're saying is, uh, what Hunter Reckoning V5 does is it isolates and says, basically, your sociopaths are the, are the governments. They're the ones that don't care about the individual and the victims. They don't care. They have an agenda. Like, there are supernals in a world that's great, but we're in an arms race to arm ourselves against these supernals. If vampires are out there, there might be more, but right now we're handling them. So we have our means of investigating them and living them and really controlling them. Because the simple answer is, we may kill the wild ones, but we're really studying more than we're killing. And and it seemed in that in that second Inquisition book, everybody's got their piece of the pie and their own agenda politically, right? That's why they're antagonists right. because of that cold feel or jobbers, as it would be said. Because who are you going to hire for that? You're going to hire these cold blooded guys that really don't care. They're going to follow the orders and the agenda. That's it. Clock in, clock out. It's Miller time. That's what mm-hmm. I'm hearing. But on the reverse end, this is about the emotions of that victim turned hero, the victim turned avenger. I'll take hero out of it. I don't know about you. When you plan for revenge, you dig two graves. I remember those analogies and all that stuff and those warnings. Right. That's what it goes on. But who answers the call of the truly most wounded, the emotionally hurt, that are dedicating their life on a hard road of death in the pursuit of the thing that took who they love the most? That's what this answers the question of. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know about you. Do you do you prefer Mike to be somebody whose purpose is just we hired you and brought you in because you worked for um one of the many privateer companies out and abroad during war. You handled yourself well out in the field. No questions asked about why you did what you did with that school. We we know what it was. It was a target possible. You did what you had to do. Great job. Turns out there were weapons inside. It was a good call to do what you had to do. Because of that, as a contractor. We'd like to bring you in on U.S. soil for a hush-hush job hired by the government, 
can't say who, and we want to bring you in. Are you interested? We have 401k. Now, that's that's one type. Or do you prefer the one where it's your best friend from, from when you were a kid? He reaches out to you out of a hat because you're a war hero returned home. And by war hero, you're a vet. People call you a hero, but you've been washing dishes, doing your thing, all that. When you came home, you wonder about the old neighborhood and you're trying to piece your life back together. This is more personal. And what you're going to do now, you went from fielding a, a, like a billion dollar planes and everything else, some pilot license and war, life or death every day to the cold, quiet life out in the burbs where your family still is. It's all right. You're going to go for this university. You're going to adapt well. You're not necessarily broken, but you have that physique of a warrior, of that soldier. It's getting it done every day. Now you're thinking on your own. And you go to have a few beers with your buddy, and he comes to you one night broken. He's covered in blood. And he tells you, I found who killed my sister, man, and I can't, I don't know what to do. And you think to yourself, no questions asked. You grab your service revolver, you're out the door. You say, hey, let's call the cops, let them know where we're at at least. He says, no, we can't do that. Why? Oh, you think because they're connected. And he's just like, yeah, fine, man, they're connected. Why? Because he can't tell you why. Not until you see it for yourself. And then he goes over to the garage, and he opens the door. And you see that he has some weird, what you thought was a European guy. It just looks different, right? Because people don't think about that. If you get a two-century-year-old vampire that came out of France, he's not going to look like your average person in France today. He's going to look different, right? doesn't matter what clothes you put him in. Their genetics are a thing. You know, different blood mixes with what. And it doesn't mean he's any less French. Mm-hmm. It just means it's different. And you may be able to place it, but you're going to feel weird to see it. And when you come in, that's not even what was weird. From a distance... It just looked like he had a bag in his head and come to realize that that's his face. This guy has poured all sorts of things in his head trying to melt this guy's head slowly and he's been interrogating him. But now he's just fangs and hissing. There's a bucket of blood half drunk and spilled everywhere. Your buddy's been dealing with him and he tells you I've been trying for hours to break this guy to tell me where she is. He's the last one that saw her and he won't tell me. And I, I know whatever you think he might be, he could trick you. Don't let him look you in the eyes. Don't do that. I have to carve them out with a spoon every time he grows them back. I can only give him enough blood for him to actually be a person. His ho- his voice is like, honey, just, just, can you do this for me? Just help me out. Well, now you stepped in it. Now you're here. Which hunter would you like to play that you feel has more substance? The contractor or this guy who's in the garage with his buddy? So, I mean, I, f- I, f- I feel like the obvious answer between those two is the the second guy, right? There's a whole lot more to chew on, a whole lot more to get into. Um, if I have a motivation beyond a paycheck, right? That relationship is a, is a big deal for getting into the skin of the character and enjoying the role play in the game. Um, and I feel like that's kind of related to where we started on this as far as what makes this kind of hunter a guy. Like, why is this Hunter that this book is about different from some dude, some contractor in the second inquisition. And I feel like the only thing it can be, especially if we don't have imbued anymore, is that all of these for all of these people is personal. Uh, it's almost got to be that simple, right? Because otherwise you're you're really talking about the same person. I don't know if y'all feel so it's well yeah, that was that was the point of the of the thing, the description. Can you see out of the antagonist book for the second inquisition can you make that story personal i'm betting you can but how much fun is that if you know an entire organization's backing you to deploy its assets and resources to come swole over one person 
kicking indoors and doing whatever? Is that going to be as involved as you and your best friend going next door, figuring out what it takes to go take out this hunt and do what you got to do? No, it's not. I just, hmm, it just makes me feel, I, I got this question that it brings up, like with all of the harm that supernaturals do, are there a gang of hunters out there? Like a, a whole ton? Is this like a, a, there should be at least as many hunters as there are police from one city to the next, right? DJ, what do you think about that? So interestingly enough, the way that the hunters are gathered, it, Mike, you nailed it on the head. And I think that's one of the things that brings these hunters together more than I think it has in the previous edition or in vampire. shit. We'll talk about vampire in general is they all share pain, right? So when you get like-minded folks that share that particular pain, whether it be like your sister went missing too. Yeah. About 10 years ago and yours about five weeks ago you could start creating these small cells. It could be anything from a small cell within a small town to multiple cells within the city that just end up being within blocks of each other. You know, but the problem is exactly as Bob has mentioned, because it is personal, this becomes a revenge story. In fact, it's it it makes you think of a couple of things, right? I think of, well, when I think of Hunters now, I, I think of like certain clips of movies. Like I think about the first group that got together when we're talking about John Carpenter's, what was it, Dracula? Or, Vampires. Or John it? Carpenter's Vampires. Vampires. Vampires, right. There we go. And when everyone's just at the end of the scene, they did the job, they all have their reason for being together, but for the <laughs> for the five minutes that they're all together and just get to have a beer, right? For the five minutes in which they're all together and have a beer and share that moment of catharsis amongst them, that's what I feel like this book is trying to, to let you know the hunters that you're dealing with now. Are they worldwide? Yeah, of course. You, you could have a hunter anywhere. All the monsters are everywhere as well. Um, but in terms of how they manifest, it, it all depends. I, I would like to think that it all depends on what they're fighting for in that one second. I think it's a lot more localized than it was before. Okay. And, and Mike, do you feel that answer your question? Uh, yeah. Well, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of an answer. I just have the, the, the still small voice in the back of my brain. It's like that, that age-old vampire question. How many vampires can a city sustain? Ah, uh, you got to the mechanics. That's why we love you, Mike. There's always that angle. And we came broad. And we came broad. Is this sustainable? Now, I want to defend it on, on this much. Reading the book, checking it out, going through it. You understand that they're not writing this. This is its own standalone. You're not going to play Hunter the Reckoning alongside your V5 Vampire game. I mean, you might in two separate games and you're free to do that. But you're going to have a bad mix mm -hmm. if you let Hunter sit down with vampires right there working against each other. Mm -hmm. eh? Kind of a bit of chaos, right? Romper room. And um, I'm certain people might enjoy that, but that's a very too, too, too many conflict, right? So this book is designed to be from the perspective of the hunters. That's the point. And in their perspective, there might be legions. And in fact, the artwork would bad that, back that up. They believe that anywhere you turn, there's a, there's a paranoia the book wants you to have. That your sister disappeared and got seduced away, but that guy's been doing it for centuries. <clears throat> How many people have gone missing in the neighborhood and you're looking at it? How, how are the police involved? Are the police vampires? What about the politicians? Of course they're in. Look at those big houses. They can hide anything in there. We got panic rooms now. They got mm -hmm. drones in the air. Do we know how to use them? Can we use the drones? Can we crack the info? This paranoia meets a very important thing. Normally, it's a hallmark of a hunter game is paranoia and an organization afraid to, to, to traipse the tulips at night. Hunter the Reckoning is about um, a catharsis. Revenge despite your death. It's about you going and getting it done. That's why I like how this book was written. I don't know if it did that for you guys. Smacked me in the face and said, where the previous one was like, God chose you, you're imbued. 
Take your Super Saiyan blast and one punch man your way through all the Super Normal. Get it. I was like, come on, man. Where's that dude that said, because I've been doing one thing, when you hunt a predator, you become one. Right? That adage for vampires, a monster you are, less a monster you become, that was said by a mortal for a very important reason. In order for me to find the killer of the one who took out my love, I must become that killer. I must get that mindset and hunt like them and kill like them and be like them to find them so I can inflict on them the epitome of agony that they thought they knew because I will never get that emotion feeling back. But maybe through your screams as daylight sends you to your damnation and I'll never be forgiven when I die, I go to hell too to inflict it on you again for eternity, hopefully. But that's like that feel in there, that superb vengeance kick. This, this, I feel that this is written to say, you can't just be upset your loved one was killed. Ah, it happens, that sucks. You have to feel it. You have to embody it to understand why something, something supernal was listening. Or maybe that power comes from within. They don't know where their, their, their assistance comes from, but it does come. And they were chosen for it. That can't be every victim hunter anywhere. It's a select few who feel that deeply. And that empathy makes it a powerful mechanism to be its own standalone product, which is why I'm behind the V5 onto the Reckoning book. Does that make a little more sense, Mike? That's that's 100% right on target. I get it. Mm -hmm. And and I feel they hit that. I really do. Um, But, and remember, I didn't like the previous Hunter the Reckoning. Uh I was bold and said that, and, and a lot of it had to do with that shitty ass video game. But that's that's not their fault. Uh, but you know, I'm just saying. Really, really, it, it, uh, but anyway, um, the book though, DJ. Let's talk changes. We know old Hunter the Reckoning. Not everybody else does. We did a good job summing it up, imbued, and all that. How does that work right, now? Right, right. Like, take me from the. How do I know I'm a character in Hunter the Reckoning as a player? Right, people listening. How would I think like this guy get to be this guy to sit down and get my powers and my organization? What does it look like? Right. So the differences now are, as we spoke about drives, um, there's a combination of two things. The creeds still do exist, but they've been simplified. Or I should probably say they've been condensed and distilled into something a lot more pure. What's a creed? Because the only creed I know. What if? What if? What if? Ah! Right. Let's, let's pretend. So the, the creed is your way of life in terms of how you're approaching the hunt uh, this time around. Um, so the creeds that are presented are, are actually five of them that have get brought up to you. Uh, the first one is the entrepreneurial creed. And these are the people who are the folks who are your tinkerers, right? They're the people who go like, hey, what do you think we do with vampire blood if we mix it in with this and shoot it right back over at them? Or the folks that kind of go like, you know what? I have this entire warehouse and have you ever wanted to see what it'd be like to put a rat through a maze before? I think it'd be a great idea and we'd be able to capture the vampire. Are you crazy? A little bit, but trust me on this. We wanted to capture the information, right? We wanted to see how fast they could run through the maze to get away from us or towards their prey. I got the camera set up. We could do this. That's your entrepreneurial creed, right? Those are the folks that are going to be doing stuff like that. You have your faithful. How can you not have your faithful? You have whatever deity, whatever higher being believe in. These are the folks that are going to be bringing down the wrath of their God upon it. Um, and it shows, which we'll talk about a little bit later when we come to powers. But they're, they're the ones you also bring in for that particular uh, feature there. The inquisitors are the folks who are your big brain thinkers. They're the ones that want to look very deeply and approach the matter of like, well, we're going to play chess with this vampire. I know that he's had sentries playing against other people, but he's never played against me. And their drive, what makes them um, interesting is that they 
play the game to outsmart their opponent, right? They're looking to make sure that they could stay one step ahead. Because if they could stay one step ahead of the supernatural, whatever it is, werewolf, ghost, vampire, they'll make the world a lot safer from their perspective that way. You know, the best action in this case is prevention. And now it's prevention and, you know, the rest <laughs> of it, right? Care, right, you um, got it. Right, right, right. The, the other one is martial. Sometimes you just gotta go rough shot on everyone. You gotta go hard body karate, and they know exactly that's the way. Why are we waiting when we could just be fighting? I'm just taking the fight straight to them. In other words, um, and theirs is exactly. In that. other words, you might. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't right, resemble me at all. I don't know. I've never played a character like that. <laughs> oh, damn, mate. Um. No, the, the last one we have, which is interesting, and this one was actually one that I didn't see in previous creeds that were presented, or I thought was really cool, is the underground. And they use, they're the types of hunters that at one point or another, you were part of the MS-13 gang, and then it was one of your gang members that got taken. You don't let him go down. That bro was family. He, had, he got blood in, blood out. You know who has to pay for it? Those vampires do. And when you start running that organization where you and your gang are going up against them, and or you start seeing to yourself, I'm going to be that person who's going to masquerade as a blood doll or as a victim. Um, those are the people that stand on the outside looking in who know how to maneuver because they've lived that life before. You know how they always say you, you don't want to fight the devil on evil grounds, on equal grounds? They're the people that would work off of that, right? The hunt, they, oh, the vampires are around. Yeah, but they never met the MS-13. They never had to deal with, like, Sinaloa cartel. Those are the types of hunters that live in that type of creed. Because they know how to play the devil's game because they themselves are devils. I don't know, man. Um, that's, uh, that's a line there. <laughs> that's definitely unique. Right? Because when you think about something like that, like uh, that excites me. That's, that's actually... Uh, we'll call that some woke-ass thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you think of somebody reaching out and getting some help, I don't necessarily think diversity kind of enters the picture there, right? I don't know about you. When I think of somebody, you know, exercising a demon, I think of a young priest and an old priest, and they definitely white. You know what I mean? Because you can't convince a black man to go in, priest or not, and do something like that to the exorcist kid. Right? She's spewing, she's spewing green soup. She's throwing grown men across the room. Y'all need to, like, put her in an asylum or something. Like, I don't know. Her, her body My gone. recommendation right? would be a shotgun. A large, right. you know, right, right that way, and then be good. <laughs> Excuse me, white woman paying for this exorcism. Can we talk to you on the side? Your daughter gone, right? And it's like, like, because that, that that hope against hope with hope, that's always been like that trope, right? And we're just playing fun to the trope. But this feels more like what you right. just said. Nah, this is what happens when the streets bite back. In other words, somebody watched Vampires in Brooklyn on Netflix. <laughs> that's all I'm saying, right? You thinking you're going to get them out of their barrio in New York? DJ can tell you that don't happen. And that's, <laughs> and I'm teasing, but I kind of dig it, right? Because that we're, when we're talking here in a microcosm speaking, it's like different versions of this game that you can actually take chunks out of. So instead of you being like, you're here with this plan or I'm crying in a corner, it's actually like your homie got done in. It's time for payback. Mm-hmm. If you're a guy like me, I dig researching crime and villains and other things because I believe it's gray. I don't think if you and a gang, you're automatically a villain. I think you did what you had to with what you had and you made life of what you could where you're at and you made tough decisions and bad decisions. And just like anywhere else, it'd be bad or good. But what happens when that lines cross and now the movie takes over focusing on you living that life. And in that point, what do you do? And that's what you're just describing. I added that little pinage 
because I don't want people to go, oh, okay, I guess that's for them. No, it ain't for them, it's for everybody. Be hard. Mm -hmm. Understand what that could be like, and that's that's entertaining. Just saying. To add to it, to give you, so we just spoke about the creeds in terms of like your method of hunting, but what we didn't talk about and what's going to be the most important thing is your drive. Everyone has a drive, as I was mentioned to you before, that defines you as to why you took the hunt. Um, and there's a couple of ones that were just brought up. So we'll, we'll go down the list. For example, curiosity. You know, some people just fall in love with the going like, what's going on with these vampires? Why do they even exist? Why did it have to be my neighborhood? If it happens to be my neighborhood, then I got to find out why they're staying there and or why these vampires only feed off of this. Ventrue, maybe, question mark. Um, so that's a drive for them. Vengeance, settle score with the supernatural. They did my buddy in. It's time for me to go ahead and pay that back. I ain't going to die before I go ahead and fulfill that portion of it. Oh, you made a promise. And I promised my sister I was going to see her walk up to the to the altar and I was going to give her away because daddy ain't there no more and now she's gone. But I promised I'd ever see that. And right now, she's still growing up. I'm going to make sure that happens. That's one of them. Greed? Greed is... Greed is... Let's put it with the underground creed, right? Greed is... You ended up walking to my crack house. You took my three best custies. You're going to have to pay for that. So I'm going to have to take from you what you took from me. And so long as I take that back from you, that's exactly what's going to come. Because ain't no one taking from me, especially on my block. Don't matter what you are. Envy. I thought this one was also curious. Sometimes, just sometimes, people want to be the Renfield. What do I mean by that? <laughs> you see a vampire in all their strength. You see this werewolf in all their strength. And at one point, it's the envy of saying, I want that power. And there are tropes that built into it. We've read this before in certain cases where people get seduced by the power. These are your people who are envious of that supernatural. And in one way, shape or another, either want to meet it, uh, meet its power level and or take it from them. Because if they could ascend their own godhood, um, that's another way of looking at what drives you. The last one, atonement. Man, we know what you ended up doing in Afghanistan and Iraq, and especially when you came back home, and after seeing what happened, you know that there's an afterlife. And that afterlife might not be for you because of the sins that you've done, but maybe, just maybe, you might be able to make up for your past sins, and that's what's going to drive you moving forward. And what I want to say about this is that uh, I needed. I'm hoping I'm reaching those folks to understand that these books are not just written one time only for, for that usage. What I mean by that is is that these are improvements in how they're pitching this laid out in the book to be crystal clear of their intent of what they wanted you to play or to get to understand about what you're playing. I think this is all built to be tools for you to better understand your character. Wouldn't you agree? I do. Because once upon a time, it was nature and demeanor. And then people are like, what the hell is that? I don't quite understand why I gotta, I gotta act this way. I gotta be this way. And so, okay, the intent was a little muddied water. Okay, you don't fully understand that. Let's try a different way. And so on and so forth. But when you get to creed and desire, I definitely feel that is this another way to do? It's like, it's, it's your creed. Sure, this is why you're doing what you do. Your ambition is your goal. Your big goal you want to hit that they have in here. And your desire is your common everyday mini goals. That you're looking to hit all hopefully to the march of hitting these ambitions. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's it's much more useful to have those personality trait things that every character needs anyway attached to something clear and mechanical in a label box on the sheet, for sure. My drive. So in go other ahead. words, oh, no, you got it. Go ahead. What I'm saying is, is like how, how you're rolling it out exactly that. But we've heard a lot, like over like five years doing this now. We've heard a lot of people saying, "I just don't know how to do this," or "I don't understand how to do that." I feel this book is like, "Hey, everybody, we hear you." 
And this is what we came together and did. This is basically paint by the numbers. Because as, as great as this book is, it does feel kind of basic. Did you get that feel? I wouldn't say basic because... And this is, I'm sorry, this is a huge diversion, but it's the only way I can think to uh, kind of make it make sense. Um, you know how you'll have separate editions of, of like a D&D game, right? I, I like one, I liked 4E because it felt streamlined, but not basic. It's not, it's not giving you less. It's just widening, straightening, flattening the path toward that place you were trying to get to anyway in character creation. Now for me, it is giving me less. Okay, all right. Let me give you an example. And this is what I mean, because I feel like I've got to define it. When I say basic, I mean that they're going with the less is more attempt. We're telling you step by mm. step, this is what we mean, no more, no less. And this is enough for you to do what you want to do with it. They've been urging us to come out of our shells, try to play this game how we want to, stop leaning on canon so hard, but we're really trying to, to, to stimulate your imagination to exist in this world we're trying to pitch to you that we feel is entertaining, hopefully you do too, and that's why we're in business, and here it is. That's what I feel their goal is. And I feel that they grow every time. And look past the negative, and look at the positives you get from it. So now, instead of endowments being somebody's chance to wax poetic about a great idea, right, you know what I mean? You can almost imagine them, we've joked mm-hmm. about this enough, I know this team <clears throat> has, and joked about it that how difficult it must be for the person who first pitched, no, potence is really diverse, it can do all these things, it could help them jump and sure they could hit hard, but potence is also the growth of the spiritual length of time and the ennui channeled to a fury that enables them to physically take advantage of it as the beast wants to reach out and show its inner darker core physically. And then someone in that room goes, so it does extra damage. <laughs> yep. yep. Right? Is what happened. And yep. we joked about that, right? It's just that simple. Yep. And the guy wants to say, well, no, it's not. And you're like, yes, my dear sweet summer child. It is just that. We will try to make it stylized, but understand it. But endowments here, and I know I'm skipping, we'll, we'll, we'll rehearse it, but endowments here has a quick explanation. It's one page to give you an idea, and then it rolls into it. That's what I mean by basic. They give you what you need to engage your attention, but then they're immediately engaging the mechanical mind you're going to have of how to build this stuff quick and get to it. In other words, they want you to hurry up and get through the minutia of mechanics to focus on story and play the game. Get to the game. Right. Now, I don't know about you, when I'm reviewing a book, <laughs> I really appreciate this man. <laughs> right? When it's, when it's like, I feel they took it easy. They must have heard old Bob go, ah, great, a new V5 book, 600 pages. <laughs> and then you get to it, and it's like, let's talk about what Cain thought when he first saw the sun after he came out of nine. And he realized God had cursed him, and the angels wanted him to cook dinner that night. But he was all out of guacamole. Right? That's, that's what it's like. And it's like, are you... Uh, right that's what it feels now they're like guys it's a game this is a game you get the gist and it's cool we did a previous book this is the advanced but it's the v-vive rules this will be a lot more fun give it a try and i'm like and they worked on me i want to play this game where before i was like it's hunter Mm -hmm. what i'm all good (laughs) save your religion that you pitched with i don't care it's like that game is i don't care but this one's like oh this is good i know what you're gonna say dj because you're gonna get to this so i'm not gonna reserve it but i'll say you're right (laughs) I have to eat my share of crow. <laughs> but crow tastes good this time around. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but let's ramp this up a bit. We're explaining creed, and we got the idea of ambition, desire, and it kind of mapped that out here. I kind of want to get into endowments, because I don't want to miss that out here. Right? 
Right. So the endowments this time have been changed because obviously they're not being, uh, well, for the most part, they're not being imbued by these messengers, quote unquote. So they've kind of given you the opportunity to instead call the badges. What's different about them this time around in terms of your powers are the powers go under one gigantic simplified thing called an edge. So, for example, we'll choose a, a one called fleet, which gives you the opportunity to call upon, like, you need a vehicle, we got a vehicle. You need a bus, we got a bus. But on top of that, right, that's just the generic one. And it's about the ability to be able to call in on this fleet because you have connections to do so. At one point or another, you've made that connection. Um what you also gain from it, subsects to it, are perks. So how do perks work out? Well, you know, maybe you might want to say, I'm going to get this bus that we rented out. Normally it's used as a tour van, but hear me out. I have this buddy who's able to go ahead and make sure that we could bulletproof the windows to begin with. And we could add maybe, it's going to be a couple extra hundred pounds, but it's just going to be an armored bus. An armored bus? Yeah. Trust me. It's going to be a great idea. Um, there are things I like about it offhand. There's a couple of things that I thought were a little bit off. Uh, the first thing I definitely will say that caught me a little bit off is, uh, well, let's talk about the, the cool let's stuff it. about it. The cool stuff is, it talks about the pools that you could use, and it lets you flex on the usage, because the difference between the endowments and the edges this time around is, as Bob was mentioning, you get to choose how your hunter manifests that aspect of it, Don't. right? It's great. So, for example, if we're saying fleet, you might be that bus driver who just happens to have keys to the warehouse, and you get to take out one or two greyhounds that were being under repair, but they're consistently under repair and you keep budging stuff up. That's one way of being able to bring them in. Or, you know the dude who's the mechanic at the Greyhound who'd be able to lend you the buses, but they tell you not to mess up those buses, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, even though he knows something bad's going to happen to them. But it gives you the opportunity to flexibly talk about how you want to bring that fleet in. Same thing with Arsenal. Arsenal's the exact same thing. You might be that person off in the middle of Arizona <laughs> trying to make sure Sarah Connor has enough weapons to, to deal with, with that Skynet day, right? Or you're the person who has connections to the black market uh, who's able to call upon those weapons and borrow them, but you have to return But not to confuse it, if we're taking fleet and we're doing whatnot, are we not talking about edges more than endowments? Right. Right. Well, I mean, but that's what I mean. It's so, those edges are with the changes from the endowments they were before. But just to, just to get to that point, um, I'm, I'm trying to get you to define something for me in your words. That's why I keep doing this, because uh, I know how the book puts it, but we're trying to reach that, right? That communication ground. People hear this quick and get at this book and, and, and then, you know, get their own take on it. When we're, when we're getting to the fact of fleet and whatnot, where that's great, but that's not really supernal. Now, when we say that there's the powers mm-hmm. aren't, aren't gone, we know that endowments are edges, right? They're not separate. Right. But what they define it as, it's, it's the way to go beyond normal, right? Isn't that what an endowment is? Right. Right, right, right. Okay, so getting to the endowments themselves, and the reason why we wanted to originally also get through um, Fleet and Arsenal is the endowments are the supernal aspects of it. Remember that hunters, whereas they might be mortal, just because someone also has faith and or access to magic, heck magic, whatever it may or may not be that makes them touched in one way, shape, or form in the form of being able to reach out to the supernal things is also malleable and you get to tell that story right what if it just ends up being that one dude who's like man why do we got to bring that guy all the time you know that all he does is just keep making that the smell of chickens i just can't deal with it listen man this 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 brujo he he's got the thing he's kept us alive so far right and every time we bring him along the vamps just can't get next to him yeah so but he just stands there with the chickens let him do what he's got to do. It still works, right? And it, it mixes and matches. But it, it does give you the opportunity to touch upon those things that would give you that supernatural protection. 
and or allow you to play with the reality of what's going on in the background. Because I think one of the things that, you know, we as players are like, it's not a mage book. So obviously they must be talking about something else. And or when you're taking a look at vampire books or any core book that comes out from the world of darkness, you know, our initial reaction is if there isn't a book in there, then we can't really draw upon it. This gives you the opportunity to play around with it, to make those small adjustments to the way that you see that supernatural aspect happen in your game. There's go ahead, Mike. There's a thing here that I feel like is swimming just like a foot and a half underneath the surface of this game. And you guys can tell me if I'm I'm paranoid or biased or whatever. But doesn't it doesn't it feel like these characters and it's I don't know how to say it, because it's not like the previous game where you're just a whole other category of supernatural. Why are we pretending like you're mortal? It's not that severe, but it does feel like almost every character in this game should have been say either kinfolk or either formerly a ghoul or uh, formerly a member of the second inquisition because the reason I ask is because I'm looking at the creeds and the drives and I'm looking at the uh, thwart the unnatural or repel the un isn't there a kinship here and maybe it's a feature and not a bug it doesn't feel like a problem but doesn't it feel like there is a supernatural shaped hole in your character's background? If I'm if I'm saying that correct. Okay, want to want to tell you something. A lot of people don't know this. Did you know that the FBI had a standing statistic that they said eighty percent of people shot in the head survive? No, I didn't know that. Did not know that. That's amazing, right? It's a weird yeah. statistic. If you want to know proof of it. A lot of it gets taken for more from head wounds that people receive, right? It's where most of it comes from, and unfortunately, murder statistics in cities and stuff like that. This is also why La Cosa Nostra said they do a double tap, right? Double tap is not two to the head. A double tap is one to the head, one to the heart. You need to stop one of the two main things that keep you alive because a human being is resilient, and they can't explain why, right? Case in point, I'm going to be brief as possible. There's a cool story you can look up about a guy who was a special forces member. And I remember him being, uh, I won't mention nationality. We'll leave it out of it, but he's a soldier of ethnicity. I'll put it that way. And he's hired on at the Vietnam war and they've had a long tour, all this other stuff. And, and what it is is that he lands, he's with the special forces camp, by the way, one of the toughest people to come out of there. And he hears that the guys that he typically goes out running with, he just didn't happen to be this last tour out there with, they hear over the radio that they're getting jumped and ambushed by like something like 1500 Viet Cong at the time. And they're ambushed. There's only 12 of them. They're going to die. The guys he trained hard with that are his brotherhood out here. It's life or death. He goes out and begs any pilot to hop in a, to get in, get him in a helicopter to get him over there. He's in such a rush. He forgets to take a gun. He finds a, a pilot that said, yeah, let's go. Let's go get our guys. And they fly out there. And when they get there, they are under fire. We're talking 1,500 people are aiming up to smoke this helicopter to get at. Now they know that there's there's people down here that are worth, you know, the enemy. And they're going to deal with it. And it's, it's of an important thing. And war is ugly. This guy's up there. The pilot can't land. He can't get down there. From an impossible height, he jumps out and hits the canopy of a tree to bounce off and hit the ground to bounce up in the middle of a live fire scenario of people trying to kill his men. Because... They're all pinned down, and he's like a maniac. He falls out of the sky, right? Like America's America is right here with him. What guided him to hit the ground and ignore all damage? And not only did he hit the ground, he had a sense of wherewithal to pick up a gun from the enemy to begin giving them hell. 
to start pulling the wounded to a more defensible position. And they're screaming. They're screaming that we're getting ambushed, you're getting attacked, soldiers are under attack, we need to do something. The military does not move lightning quick. They need orders to develop those assets to go to that site. And so they're now scrambling because it's not about pride. You had a soldier motivated properly to get up and not wait to risk his life to die with his men or bring them home. There was no middle ground. That pride moved me to tears already when I was hearing this story and researching it. They go a step further. He wasn't done. This protracted fight went for at least like two, three hours, whatever. Them exchanging fire, people trying to get positioning. War's crazy as he gets all these people to kind of up a hill in the jungle and hope it's going to work out. And he's not stopping. He's been shot in the hip twice. He took a shot in the chest. He took a shot in the back. And he's looking for his best friend that he knows is out here. And he sees him. He's dead lying face down. And they tell him he's dead. However, they do get a helicopter. The helicopter pilot, the psycho pilot, which is awesome, comes back with a wounded helicopter to come down to pick them up. Nobody's coming. You're all there is. This angel comes down and says, screw it. We're bringing our guys home. Or we're nobody's going home. And so when they land... They're getting everybody on this plane, but his dead best friend's out there, and he said, you don't die far from home, you're coming home. And he sprints out there, he gets shot in the head, he gets shot in the back, he gets shot in the gut, he gets multiple shots does he take, and drags his friend back, tries to bring him in the plane, before he is so wounded and he can't even realize that he's not going to make it. So what they basically do is they get his dog tags and get what they can and grab him, and then hell came. And what I mean by that is he wasn't done. Because they weren't going to get up off the ground, he, they, he starts calling danger close napalm strikes. What that means is, despite all hope, he said, hit us. Your target is us. They are everywhere you can't miss. Vio con Dios, we go out soldiers, but we go out together. And somehow, danger close napalm doesn't hit them. And buys them enough time to clear landing to get a real helicopter in here. Because the pilot they had died. Right there when he landed, shot. They just riddled with bullets, right? Now, all his guys are wounded. They know he's taking shots, and somehow he's not dead. And he was picking up people like he had a second wind and just throwing wood in on it and said, you're coming home, we're getting you home, we're getting you home. And they still couldn't go out to get his friend. At least I believe that's what happened. He couldn't do it, but that's what they believe got him up there. And they get him on this plane because he basically makes sure everybody they could get on there, and then that was that. He takes off when he's going home story's not done if that wasn't amazing enough it's not done he finally codes which means he's dead and the helicopter on the way back he's not gonna, he's not gonna make it these guys are blown away they were wounded one motivated soldier who believed in them loved them brought hope where they were gonna die and he saved them and strangely when he landed he woke up so you bled out, you should be dead. All the fatal wounds in the world, no one can save you. And when the, when the, everybody gets over to pull him off the ground to see how God basically walked on the battlefield to get it done, he sits up. And when he did, they saved his life. Not only did he save his life, this guy could walk again after all the healing and everything else, walk to get all these medals pinned on him, to do everything else, and lived a very long life. Is what he had. It's one of the most outstanding stories, if not the most outstanding stories to hear about American side war and what that pride can do, that, that, that the feeling of, of that we are as important to each other nationally that everybody comes home in war. These are our guys. These are our people. It's a fantastic story. But to bring it back to this, this is what Hunter the Reckoning is all about. How? Mm-hmm. If that's a real story, that's a real story, Mike. Tell me Supernatural wasn't involved in that. 
I mean, I'm the Christian here. You don't have to convince me. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But this is, but that feeling you have right there. I know he had him some God. Try this dude landed and said, "Try Jesus, don't try me." This shit, I roll hard, son. Came out and got it done. But Hunter the Reckoning is saying, "Okay, you don't have to describe it. You don't have to just say what it is to the world." But I, like you just said, I believe me some God. That's your personal belief. This book gives you room to say that. This is why you can do some unexplainable things. And that's how it goes. And that's okay. And it's done in such a way that it's not cheesy. So you are a mortal who can push and go that distance. Right? Where does someone like me knows, because right. they've proven that you can, you can combat a lot of conditions with some serious health training, eating right diet, the whole nine. You live a perfect life. You can do some pretty amazing things, but you can also do that and die by drinking just juice. <laughs> right? Or doing some other stuff as time is proven. It's your time, it's your time. But the point is, mm-hmm. in the past, it was God chose you. Here's your magic powers. Have at it. And that felt like a lazy way out. Here, they're like, hey, man, you tell me the story. <clears throat> to Bob, it's love of your fellow man. That's a big difference. That's, that's a huge difference maker, I think, in, in, in presentation. It, especially if the effect is ultimately the same. The frame is everything. I like that. That's sweet. What also helps frame it and actually using Bob's story um, to further push it is you might think like hunters are really badasses. They're not. It's people who make mistakes because they're driven to it. So much in the same way that Bob was mentioning, the soldier just decided, well, you know what? I'll bring the chopper. And where he gave his position away to his people as well. The same thing happens with hunters. What's different about this version and the previous version? Desperation dice, right? Much in the same way that we loved the hunger, um, the hunger dice as it was, or the hunger mechanic as it was brought to vampires. Desperation now exists for hunters. The more messed up things are starting to get around them, your cell, everyone has a pool of different colored dice that they can call upon, and it depends on what your drive is. So if it ends up being that vengeance is it and we got to go and we got to kill this monster right now and you're looking at your dice going like, you know what? My pool of fight is not going to cut it. I need to Antonio Banderas my way out of this situation to be able to shoot everyone down. I'm going to have to dig in deep. The dice are waiting in front of you, right? It ranges anywhere between one to five additional dice that you might be able to use. But here's the catch. Whereas you might use those dice to go ahead and give you additional successes. For every one that you roll, as in the the numerical number one, for every numerical one that you roll on those dice, you're pretty much putting your team in that much more heart. Where you were trying to sneak in and you stop giving a shit because you're like, man, man, no, 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 stop doing... You don't remember that scene in the movie where you're taking a look at The Departed and poor Wingham gets tossed off the building and they're like, yo, what are we supposed to do? Are we waiting? Are we waiting? No, 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 fuck this. He gets out, he just gets into the gunfight. It's the exact same thing. You put your team in danger because now, out of your own personal want, you've decided to push yourself forward and risk everyone else around you. So if I can't, so that's yeah. an interesting thing. So if I, so if ahead, I can, sir. real fast, I want to, I want to honor the soldier. This story mentions of it did have. I remembered his name, uh, or, or where I had it marked. It's uh, Master Sergeant Raúl Perez Benavides, known to his friends as Roy. I won't call him Roy. I don't know him, uh, but he passed in 1998. A very decorated soldier, and to me, a very, very beloved and great man. And uh, that's that's where that came from. And, and you can look it up. It's see how you feel about it. But I, I just wanted to say that. Please continue. Of course. So as we're talking about it, desperation dice is a good mechanic because it does show you where that drive is coming from. But it also tells you that you are reckless. That's why hunters don't survive much like jobbers do, because jobbers are disciplined to do it. Hunters put everything on the line to be able to complete this. 
what does it also tell you? There's another mechanic in there called danger. Danger is your desperation starts to drive and you start messing up and, and making your team that much more vulnerable because you just can't get away from the juice. You can't help that you're following the vampire home and you've decided to, to literally park behind them or that you've decided to kill his favorite blood doll or otherwise. You're drawing their attention and it brings that much more heat upon you that it makes almost every other decision or any other type of operation that you do on this hunt that much harder. So now it becomes a game of like you the way I see it, if you're fortunate, if you're fortunate, you and your son might be able to make it two full chronicles. But that might not be the case. But that's not what the story is. The story is about the reckoning. The story is we all got together for this Ocean Eleven, let's go kill or take care of whatever the problem is in our city. And we may or may not make it, but at least we know what we were signing up for. And what that leaves me to feel for the first time is that Shadowrun is now in the world of <laughs> Actually, <laughs> it gives you are it gives wrong. me some feels too. It really puts it really puts the shame to vampire vampires um, as a concept for me. When I think of a vampire, I think of some creature that's clinging to its immortality, and it's a, a dragon sitting on top of its horde, and it demands that it have everything. It's greedy. Um. That that commitment, right? That what we are about is so much more important than living another day. That warms my belly. It makes me. It feels romantic almost. <laughs> Thinking about the fact that you wound me, <laughs> it, it just it feels so good. <laughs> Mike, man, Mike, Mike, you you my boy, you my guy, you my guy, man. We fam. I, I get that, but I need I need to address this real quick. Mike, look away from DJ real quick. Just over here. All just right, all right, just just us. What? I thought I I thought I I thought we done been through the the dirt here on vampires, man. They ain't no dragons. Dragons something some dork with a sword's coming to say a prayer and stab and get all his treasure for no reason. Then he's a murder hobo. <laughs> That's what that is. I want you to think about this, Mike. And we're gonna do the brain exercise again. And everybody, let's help Mike. Let's wish these feelings because the king bro is cantankerous <laughs> and he knows only one way. And he needs all the prayers you can give. So. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to think about this for a second, Mike, and remember, if I made you a vampire right now, you have your own morality right now, and your morality comes from ethics that you learn from society in the moment right now. But when I add 50 years and you realize bullets don't kill you, because certainly in the course of your feeding, you would have by now adapted to the fact we all know, we all know this ploy, Mike, and I know you do, that your best food you've ever had. The best sex and the best drugs don't compare to feeding and drinking blood. But when I tell you that it's your closest that are your first victims, and the Sabbat didn't make you do it, I take that binky out of your mouth. You did that. Right? Your dad stopped by to help you move some stuff that night because he's got time, and you <laughs> fight dad, blackout, don't know what's going on, waking up, and you tore his throat out. And you're his baby boy. And you're sitting there trying to make peace with that. And you're hoping God can do something. Your daddy didn't ask for that to happen to him. And you the one who laid hands on him. This whole world, he's lived his life to give you everything, and now he's giving you his life and blood. That emotion. That emotion right there is Vampire the Masquerade for you to realize, because you're not going to commit suicide, are you? You're not going to do that. Your beast is inside telling you, purring, that it's satisfied. For the first time in your life, you're sated. You feel complete. And it took this life to do it. Because that's the creature you're becoming. It's a transformation process. As your humanity lowers, you're becoming different. Is what it's trying to rationalize. That's what they're preaching in the book. 
Yeah, but you still don't you don't you feel like <sighs> sympathy is not the word. But don't doesn't the doesn't this book's presentation of what a hunter can be make you feel pity either for the vampire or for the player who would prefer to play the vampire? I'm not sure which it is. Maybe it's both. Ah. Uh-huh. So here's where I'll step in, and the reason I say that is because there's an interesting thing about this book and Hunter in general. Unlike many of the previous splats that have existed in the old World of Darkness, there is no morality track for Hunters in this game. Do you know why, though? I will explain this to you as well. The reason why as well is one of the things that gets introduced into this game is a mechanic called Despair. There comes a time when it all comes crashing down and you are personally responsible for it. When despair hits you, which is a state on a character where you fail, where you've rolled the ones and you, you, you just, you, you've come to see it all fall apart, where your friends all die in front of you because you weren't planning correctly, because you were too busy tinkering off in the office to set this mat raise, and you thought you had three more seconds to set it up, but instead of hitting the button that would have shut the vampire out, you were too busy wanting to put into the maze, and you watch him call all your friends up, it all goes to shit. You lost every single thing that would give you the ability to continue more. And that is a lot more soul crushing. That just that stops you, and that that's it's a main. It's I that part. I mean, I know that I understand it where it came from in Vampire, but looking at it from a moral perspective, it's literally there. And when you're in a state of despair, you can't fight your you can't use your drive anymore. Your drive is no longer there. Everything you thought was good, like you were fighting for a reason, it's no longer there. So you can't even draw upon those dice until you redeem the reason why you failed the rest of your team. Now you got to go explain why that dude's dead. And and I wanted to say that because they do give that explanation. But I sit there and go, once again, we're dealing with a game that thinks you're a moron. <laughs> I will say that. Some, some people need that. You need the rule to say that you should feel remorse. How the hell are you going to play a yeah. game and you're a human being? You are a human being in real life. Right? Everyone listening, you're a human being. How does someone have to tell you that you're taking a reprehensible, immoral act when you take one? That you should feel for guilt for shooting a guy accidentally? Or blowing somebody away you didn't know was a villain? Well, or that they were alive and you killed them anyway. That's going to f- affect you some type of way. Well, yeah, but so what 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 this this idea of being a hunter, one with these creeds and drives and these motivations that give actual mechanical benefits because you feel them so so deeply, what that invites out of people is that Billy the Butcher mindset. You know the guy, uh, the character from The Boys. Oh, yeah. Right? The Butcher the Yep. is so broken by what he has been through and yet survived that it's it's turned him into a, a twisted kind of perverted version of a hero. He doesn't respond emotionally like he should for doing all these things because he's justified them so many times. No matter what the con- I don't know how you think that do you think that's different do you think that's different than a hunter and a vampire? No, no, no. I'm saying that I, I think it makes me question monster. It makes me que- it makes me question despair. It's, I guess what I'm trying to say. What do you think of the phrase "monsters we are," unless monsters we become? And you you settle yourself with a certain level of monstrosity, so you don't go further than that for other reasons. And what it warns you is that you're starting to become what you hate. This actually hits personally home to me. I don't know if you've heard of this, Mike, or you, DJ, but I certainly did. I used to, there was a time in my life I used to hate white people, all white people. I learned that when I went down south, right? 
won't get personal, but there were definitely people there who felt I was mixed and there would need to be some place for me. And I was, I, I hated hate. I learned what hate was at a young age and I didn't like it. And some adult pulled me aside and I actually heard of a quote and that's how they simplified it. And they said, well, you like horror books, check this out and whatever. And actually that's, that may even be what put me on the path of vampire, but not at this time. What they did was they made me see that if you believe what these people are saying, that they should hate you by the color of your skin and they should do something to you about it. And you believe they have a right to that hatred because you hate them back for what they're doing. They're actually your master. That's what's going on. They're dictating how you should feel. They're dictating your hate. And you are literally returning the hate. They made you a racist. That's what you're permitting that anger to do. The only way that I could learn to function, to grow, was to understand that there are people who are ignorant. They don't know me. They don't care to know me, and that's okay. That's on them. But they eat and go home and have families and love, and they care, and they do everything that I do. And they have a right to it just like I do. Except for some reason, they feel I don't have a right to it. I'll do what I can to get along with them, but I can't hate them because that's not going to do anything. Right? That's an altruistic good view of it, but that's literally what that quote's saying. If I give in to the hate, I become who I hate. And eventually, like draws to like, and we're going to have a conclusion one way or the other. Right? One of us has to go. Now, this game says you're a hunter and you will go that journey to have that choice, to have that conclusion. And you may well have sympathy for the devil. What if you get to a young man who didn't have a choice and he was violated, turned into a vampire, and he didn't want to feed on your sister? In fact, he loved her. He loved her. But to a vampire, what's love? She was the most tastiest, juiciest morsel every time they were together. And he used to take nips and he could satisfy it. He tried all sorts of things. Better than only animals. He tried every altruistic good thing he possibly could. But then one night, she really was coming on to him and she was obsessed. And he didn't know how to stop the feelings she'd felt for him. And he knew they were false. He knew that the more blood he drank that every night he existed, he could just draw her in and draw her in and draw. And she stopped going to work. And so he took care of her and he stopped uh, resisting her to go out and do all these fine things that provided for her. And he saw where this was going. But then his selfishness, which was birthed from his loneliness of the last 50 years, he couldn't do without her because the warm embrace of a body, that companionship was all he knew. And he frenzied. And when he woke up and saw her dead, he couldn't condemn her to his existence because that's a hell for him. But he knew he did it wrong. And even worse, you saw him running through the park looking for your sister who your family reported her missing because he lost track of time. Because he had her at nights, she didn't go home during the day, she was lying to him, and he saw all that and forgave her in that moment, and there was nothing he could do. That's a tragic story. But if you're that hunter, and you've been researching him, and you found a diary where he talks about how she won't go home, oh, I love her too much to send her away. But if I really love her, I wouldn't put her in harm's way. I just gotta die today. Maybe tonight I can, or maybe today I'll walk in the sun. Maybe today I'll set myself on fire. But how do you kill yourself? Right? And this is another dramatic point. That's the point of this game. It's to wake up and realize that the easy answer is to pull the trigger. That's not entertaining. That's not entertaining. The exploration of who you are and who's the bigger monster, Ahab or the great white whale? Right? In that story. Do you, do you believe that Ahab has, do you believe that a person who goes as far as to become the butcher, do, do they or should they 
still have the capacity for despair growing out of actions when they knew what path they were walking down. That's the that's the only conflict it raises for me, right? Like I've seen a couple random movies on Amazon Prime recently where the hero dies. You know, the protagonist says, oh, this is uh-huh. getting done. Yada, yada, yada. Uh-huh. End of the movie, fucker's mm-hmm. lying in the pool of his own blood, but the mission's over, right? And that uh-huh. that is what I feel when I read what we have. And then there's also despair that they give me as a mechanic. And I'm like, huh? It's like, this, these don't feel like those people. These, these feel like people who left despair in the past. Am I? Well, here's, you know, it's interesting you should mention that because the, when we go, one of the things this book also has are some very interesting antagonists, right? And um, the one I definitely want to bring up is this, this character called Gunshot, who happens to be a sorcerer or a warlock or a mage, for lack of a better term. The story as it's written is this one guy keeps trailing this warlock. He knows this guy's a warlock and he's about to go ahead and shoot him. But before he does so, the guy turns around knowing that he's being hunted. He takes a look at him. He's like, my name's Gunshot. Not Gunshot. Gunshot. Mm-hmm. And he's like, here, catch this. He throws a ball or he throws an object at the guy so the guy can catch it. Before he could even catch him, but because his hands are raised, he blows the guy's right hand off. And he goes like, my purpose in life is to kill you guys because you came after me and you killed someone that was very near and dear to my heart and for every one of you that come out there i am going to kill you're lucky tonight i just took your hand tell everyone you know and everyone you love to not come after us ever again and he turns around and the guy with his one hand what's left of his mangled right hand decides to almost bring the weapon up but the the sorcerer already knew the warlock and he goes don't make me rethink my actions tonight and the guy who's narrating the story about gunshot goes like i've been doing this for some time I'm done. I'm done with the hunt. There's no, like, he already took my hand, and this guy's just trying to protect what he has. I'm done with this hunt. Because if he does that and he's able to come after me, maybe it was much more than I ever signed up for. And so we're talking about different things, right? Because that's, we, I feel we got to answer Mike's question. What you're saying, he's right. doing it because he realized the error of his ways. In other words, he hit a limit. I would say his reckoning was not so heartfelt, his revenge was not so. Right, because yeah. he he literally found where I'm not willing to go the distance, right? Because you can't hunt what you can't kill, and he found the limit to his metal. That's what that story is, Mike. What you're talking about is despair. Can you say that again? These feel like people who have left despair behind to me. These feel like Batman and their true worst antagonists will be Jokers who are more entertained by the vileness of their actions than they are by any particular goal. Right. And so these guys, these hunters go out into the night and get after it, trying to get to the Joker. Um, And if they ever could, they'd be smarter than Batman that actually kill that fucker. But ultimately they have left any concern for collateral damage in the past because their goal is too big for that kind of triviality. Or is it? I mean, what I'm, what I'm going to point out is, is that this is saying that you can't be a sociopath and play this game. I mean, you certainly could, but you're missing the point. You can't do it. If you're going to say this is a game and it's not real, and I'm going to sit down and play it, my character's just here to kill vampires, let's get it done. And you don't put, you don't program in that, yeah, there is remorse. There should be hesitation. Morality does have a play. Who the hell are you? You have ambition and desires and a creed, a reason you're doing this. This all has to factor into why you built your character. And if you did the math and you did the homework and you play as intended and you're hooked and you're here, then there should be a good enough story 
to draw you in to learn and pursue. Because this is investigative to track your prey and then to decide what you're going to do with them. But in the course of tracking your prey, if you realize that you have to, like, take it, for instance, Training Day did it best. Sure, you might be cops, but to find out your partner was dirty, you had to go to the most dangerous situations you've ever been in day one. Day one. And inevitably, your partner sets you up to get killed by uh, MS-13. Right, and there you are, head down in a tub with a shotgun in your mouth, having to make the fastest fast-talk deal ever with some people who don't give a fuck about doing time. They're going to smoke a pig and get paid because they were already paid by your partner. So what you going to give them now? Right? They are more monstrous than the guy you're pursuing. Right? At least he did it. Denzel Washington's character did it out of a fear that people coming to kill me. But he started out a good guy. He wore the badge. He was going to defend people. And then it turned into, I'm the police. I'm who you fear out here. You ain't the monster. I'm the monster. And I'm going to show you how bad a monster I am. And when you learn about it, you're sitting back going, yeah, this guy got broke. The violence broke him. You do have to be hard out here. And in order for him to do any good, he had to become the most corrupt to even have a hope. And then he got seduced by his own bullshit. This is what this game is setting. Are you that guy? Or are you the guy who goes, nah, I'm going to help you out, man. You want to die. You do. I read it. And yeah, you took my sister's life, but she did love you. I read that too. And you were definitely the guy she would fall for. But you're, you're 200 years old. You had a life. You've had two lifetimes. What are you going to do? Just get stronger and keep killing? I can't let that happen. She wouldn't want you to do that. And by my own thought, if there is an afterlife, she's waiting for you. What are you going to do? Now, I got this flamethrower here because I got some badass boys back here with me. I got a lady with a flamethrower who wants to dance with you right now. She don't even know you like that. She just said she had family that got wiped out and you just another bug hunt to her. She used that term, but you know Marines. So, what you won't do? We can have a nice talk. I'm her brother. You said you loved her. I'm who she loved. I gave up everything to find you and found you. I could do you right here. Or you can get your beast on, as you called it. And we're going to find out who the real monster is. But understand, I've killed everyone that worked for you. I killed the cops that covered up her death. I killed the people who got in the way of the investigation. I'm not the guy that I was when I started out on this journey, but I am the one who changed my little sister's diapers when I was young enough watching her and where I'm not our father because he passed away before she could even know him. I know he's watching me and guides my hand. And if he doesn't, then it's the devil who sent me here. And in that case, we're going to shut the fuck up and get this done. But you ain't living past the day. Choose how you get checked out. Now, that's showing who's more monstrous, me or him. And if you got good money, you're betting on the girl back with the, with, with the flamethrower. That's right. who I'm betting on. She ready me to get it done. Too. right? And that's where it is. But as a storyteller, it's every your job to put the players in charge of that onus, that energy, that, that dramatic point that says, this is why I play the game. But for the first time, I feel we have a book where anybody can do what Bob just did. I did that mm -hmm. off the top of my head like nothing. That's easy. That's it. You've seen it. It's every action film that comes down to, you know, don't need bow on the barrel. Hold a trigger. If you're going to kill me, kill me. That's ever chest pounding badass moment you've ever seen. Except mm -hmm. here's the humanity part that you've rarely seen thrown in. And what's a better story? You smoking this guy? Or that guy opening up and going, I will, but we got to take out who did this to me. I'm so close. 
Dun dun dun. <laughs> Alright, everybody. That was season one of this game we're doing. Tune in next time when we do we go after the guy or do we finish the deed and how does this change Bob? And that's that's what you do, but it's still Hunter the Reckoning that brought you there. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. That's what it is. Sorry, I was felt some type of way. Anyway, um no, okay. the most important thing a lot of people are going, that's great. This sounds cool, guys. It's fun. You guys are entertaining. We love you, Bob. I know. I love you guys too. But we're we're getting to this point. And uh get to the arsenal. <laughs> like I'm telling you, carte blanche, I know this is why I wanted a hunter reckoning book. Because I felt Ada. Second Inquisition was eh. But antagonist books would tend to be that. Right, they're like, ah, right. throw some stuff, hurt some stuff, do some stuff. This one had what a drone jockey. That's why I made the Shadowrun comment. I was like, oh, y'all know my language. What is this? What's what's a drone jockey? They've got so one of the edges is actually having the drone jockey, um, which to, not only is it an edge, which means that you have access to them and you can program in any which way form that you want to. But I feel that this book especially because of how it's also written, gives you a lot more practical applications of being able to secure the types of weapons that you need, right? It talks about your your flamethrowers, your hand things, your dragon breaths round, and when you would or wouldn't use it, right? There's a reason, it even tells you in this book that it didn't, amazingly enough, in the second Inquisition book that I remember, the reason why vampires stay close to human beings is because you're not going to light a vampire up and burn everyone else else around you, right? That's their hope, is they're using human shields. That's why you don't see too many incendiary rounds being used out in the open, because vampires know fire hurts, but if I stand next to your two, you ain't gonna shoot me so long as you're standing in there. So I thought that was also a, a really cool thing. It gives you vans, it gives you grenades. It even has an edge for ordinance. You want Molotov cocktails? Pipe bombs? You? It has it all. It's Molly the right way. <laughs> Not that ditzy girl dancing the house music. This is Molly. Molly, get him done. Right? This is how to put baddies in the ground and go home with a smile. And warm, I might add. Dual purpose. But what I like most of all in this book, and you're going to laugh, and that's fine. Mock me, if you will. The number one impediment of any player in any campaign modern that there ever is. Can you guys Doors. guess it? It's doors. You have been listening to Bob. It is doors every time. Never do players choke when you tell them there is a door before you. Locked. What do we do? Who took lock picking? No one knows. Well, now everyone knows. With the new KTEL lockpick gun provided in this book, it's just, you're not going to understand this, but now I don't have to say anything to a player. If we're playing this game, I get to go. Did you happen to look at the equipment section as you were taking your copious amounts of stealth and breaking in things and doing larcenous things? And they're like, uh, well, no, I don't really think about it. Oh, well, then I guess you can't unlock the door. <laughs> well, that's garbage and bullshit for now. What are you going to do? I'm going to go home. My character, though, has arsenal. Can I fumble around? Seems you can. What might you find in that arsenal? How about you open your book and get back to me? Shop a little bit. Because I know in big, bold print, it says lockpick gun. Shank. It does. <laughs> right. No excuse anymore. You want to be quiet about it? Be quiet about it. You want to you do it? Get past the door and play the game. It's now there. Sorry. I was I was super excited about the lockpick gun. Um, I think uh, one of the other things to kind of add to this is, well, remember when we were talking about jobbers? 
The Cyclone Inquisition, in all its forms, in all its organizations, ranging from Lantita all the way straight down to Sad, to Bope, to, to even Orcus, they all make use of hunters. Why? Because they're expendable assets, because if you have people who are ready to go ahead on Suicide Squad jobs, might as well send them in, get as much detail as possible, then send in the professionals. So that's another way to tie in your game. They could also be their own antagonists. They actually are considered rivals. Why? Because you know you're there to kill that vampire who took your, your sister out, but they're there to capture that vampire and study it. Hell, they won't. I'll get there before they do, because if they get there, then you lose your opportunity for vengeance, and you lose your opportunity for closure. So that's also one of the things that exists. Did you, uh... Oh, tell me you guys like the net gun. The predator gun? The net gun. I like the Hefla. Look, look, the Hefla, I'm gonna be honest. I meant to look it up and forgot to. I don't even know what a Hefla is. It's a... It is a flashlight-sized, one-shot, flaming flechette launcher. Okay. Nah, I get it. That is some crazy stuff you would like. And I would be like, whatever. Let me tell you why I like the net gun. Ready? No one arrests you for having a net gun. Right? Just shoot some net. Right? I love the net gun. What you gonna do, cops? I'm just... I'm a amateur hunter. (laughs) Picture it. You're a hunter, and you're going after someone who may or may not be a vampire. You need to double check. You need to put a. You need. You need to tag your prey, and it's poof. They get hit, tangled, roll on the ground, and it's well. You hope not an elder, but if you're me, I kind of like it when it is one. And they're rolling on the ground, and you walk up and like, "What are you doing, man?" And you're like, "Okay, breathing hard, sweating. Oh, sorry, sir, we got the wrong person. We were hunting quail." And you un you undo them, and they're like, "Screw you, asshole!" And they run off. I love that. I love it. You might get in trouble with the cops. It is assault. You need to leave. But at least the cops will just be like, get the hell out of here. What are you doing? At the park at night. But now I also like the fact that, okay, you mocked my neck gun. Well, mock it now, creature of the night, when it's on fire. I was going to say, you can soak that right. in kerosene, and that changes the equation quite a bit. <laughs> right? Oh, no, no, but hold on. It's... It has flammable adhesive. So the Bob's getting ready to go ahead and drop that match, go like, you killed my daughter. Bob, Bob, this isn't the guy. Don't it's not? No. It, it, he's breathing. Yeah, you yell at him. Right? So it has that safety feature, because you don't want to set that old guy on fire. It, it, but if you did, you just got to drop the match. That, that's what you got. But we, uh, we are, we're a bit over on time. Um, I want to I wanna say that this book, just on a, on a casual review, folks obviously do the deep, deep dive for you. Um, this book does not have a lot of meat to it that you need to understand. It's hunters. It's the reckoning. You got their purpose while they're there in organizations. And I will add a note, a side note, to reflect on one thing. They do have antagonists beyond Supernal. For instance, mm-hmm. the antagonists are from the Second Inquisition antagonist books, a lot of them. They even throw others. It's other organizations that are going too far. Because they're not necessarily straight up trying to kill the Supernal, which might be your goal. They're also trying to benefit from it. For instance, SpaceX Mockery. I know they're mocking SpaceX. I know Monster X is in this book to mock the SpaceX program. I don't care what anyone says. I know they did this on purpose. No, you can't prove it. I certainly can't. I love it that it's Monster X. And if you read it, it reads like, we don't know if it's going to work, but we're not going to be responsible for it. We're just out here trying it. We got people that buy weird shit from us all the time that we say will work on supernatural people. Like, we got salt that's in shotgun shells. We have, like, silver dust that's also in shotgun shells to use on ghosts, maybe. It might work. We don't care. What we're in the business of is finding 
what is creating the ghosts or causing the supernatural effect? Or why is the site special? Or what tech or something we can peel from this to turn into use for us? And I sat there and went, if Elon Musk got a hold of an organization that hunts vampires, vampire blooded werewolves, he would have Monster X. I can see him walking around on Twitter. Did you guys see that big one we bagged last night? Check out at www.noonegivesashitbutmethebillionaire.com. But now you have to see it because I own Twitter. Like, what an asshole, right? And, I, and I'm like, and even the picture they show where it's like cold scientists kind of, meh. I don't know how we got this job, but it's a good one. Like, <laughs> I love how it reads. It's very creative. Maybe you think it's more professional than that, but I definitely know I'm running Monster X. Like, they're always looking to the bottom line. It's for profit. Right? Imagine the exorcist where suddenly Monster X shows up and goes, anyway, you can get her to do that ectoplasm on command. Breaking the masquerade left and right like it ain't shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's good on TikTok. (laughs) Right. It's great. Like, they're using stuff for entertainment purposes. We got a cure for cancer. You become a ghoul, but we can solve that, right? It's like the cure for anything else we sell. You're going to need these shots periodically. Just take a shot of this weird... Can we make that blood cherry flavored? Yeah. It's not blood. It's synth juice. <laughs> Staves off all diseases. Only $5,000 a drink, and you only need it every Once month. month. <laughs> Can you imagine that insurance claim? Come on, pharmaceutics. It's so it's like SpaceX. My- I was like, this is like- so good. So funny for a capitalist crazy bullshit. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, but that's that's us for Hunter the Reckoning for V5. I think it's a decent book. It's at least a lot of fun at the very least, and that's what we're here for. Um, right. DJ, thank you, man. I appreciate you uh, doing hat roll reverse. I always like it because I did have a lot of questions I wanted Ooh. to get out that I felt we were hearing, and you did very well. Mike, I do like the out of nowhere, but my rules. <laughs> I love it every time. I love it every time, my man. I appreciate it. Everybody, thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.